I can't I can't watch basketball games. They make they give me anxiety. Yeah. We've already talked about this. We have. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast. I was very surprised when I learned this about you. And I have to watch it on mute. When I do watch it, I watch oh, it in shit. a room alone on mute. So you are listening to Pancom Podcast. Welcome to the next episode of Pancom Podcast, brought to you by no one. <laughs> Still fighting for ads every day. <laughs> hey, but you never know. Maybe between now and the time we put this out, no, we're not going to get any sponsors on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, so this one is brought to you by our usual default sponsor, the Croqueta Doorstop. Oh. The doorstop that's also a croqueta. It's the ad you can always depend on. Correct. Uh, I am Nick Jimenez. I'm joined by chef and chili cook-off champion Michael Beltran. One time. One time chili cook-off champion, but aspiring second time champion. And also, you... This is a good time for cameras because of this jersey. Tell people about what's happening here because this is pretty serious. Yeah, so we we made uh, we're in the process of relaunching the Pig Ink merch line, which was started in 2012, and we've been messing with all kinds of things, bucket hats, and beanies, and we have like four or five new designs. Um, you know, we're toying with the idea of making aprons and all kinds of cool stuff. So we made baseball jerseys. And we made the Ariette kind of look like uh, the Indians, I believe. And then with the hammer underneath, it's kind of like the Braves. But then uh, you could also customize them. And then the back of mine has my grandfather's name and his baseball number when he played nice. in Cuba. So very cool. Very happy about these. Also, it just happens to be that the Marlins just won uh, in the first round of the playoffs. Right. And they're going to the NLDS, right? Right, yeah. And so... Baseball's the thing. We already sold a couple jerseys. You Good know, shit. you could Venmo me all your money, <laughs> all of it. That's all of it. How much is it? All of it. All I, that'll be all your money. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's a like I, I didn't realize from pictures. Like that's a like actual patched on. Yeah, yeah. Super nice. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a legitimate baseball jersey. What yeah. I didn't want to do is make these jerseys and then them be like the ones you have in like when you play Pee Wee and they're yeah, just like yeah. like a mom like heat pressed. Yeah. The name on there, none of that. And I was like, "That's not going to be Arstis." Yeah. So, so are are they black so that they match the existing pig ink ascots? Actually, I no, <laughs> but that's good. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, actually, I only made one black one for myself, and the rest of them are white. No shit. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. You elitist. <laughs> Why is that elitist? You have fifty some odd episodes into a podcast, and you think you deserve a special uh, jersey? I just uh, since I made them. I'm gonna make one for myself that I want. Sure, because I don't. I don't wear a lot of white T-shirts. Right, right, right. So all my shirts are black or gray or dark green. And will that forever be the case, or you will at some point in the future will black be made available? I don't know. Everyone's. Re- I didn't. I didn't think the black one was gonna be so nice. Got it. Okay. I thought I. I've at first because of the stitching and uh, the way that we did the black outline or whatever. I yep. thought it would lay better on a white jersey. So. When I got the sample, I was like, cool. Just We only made a dozen of them. And um, I was like, but I'll make one black one for myself. And I was like, man, they came out. I think they're nicer. Yeah. I mean, but that's also because I prefer like a dark shirt. Yeah, over I mean, I haven't seen the white ones, but I have a hard time thinking that I would like the white one better. But that's nice. You get the special thing. Bobby, I do what I can. Yeah, it's good to be the boss. Yeah, you know, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, you know, it is what it is. So let's, uh, the we don't have a guest today. 
There's not a guest waiting in the wings that we're about to introduce, unless Petey counts. But Petey, Petey checked out a long Petey time ago. Petey looks like he's down for the count, which Petey's makes sense. Petey's monitoring the camera over there. He looks good. Yeah. Don't worry about it, Petey. You're good. Yeah. So, nice. uh, um, right now, here's a. Are you ready for the segue? We are smoking a special uh, Pig Ink branded cigar. <laughs> I love it. These are actually uh, the Espinosa red labels. Yes. Uh, yes. But with a special band, which I think the band looks slick too. Yeah. Uh, and this came from Versos Sencillos Part Trois. Yeah. You like Trois? I don't know. It's, it's It depends the way you say that. It could be uh, taken the wrong way. Part Trois. Okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I meant. Sure. Yeah, it is. Uh, so we've brought this up before on the podcast. Versos Sencillos is the name of the tasting menu dinner series that you guys have been doing. Right. Uh and I went to my first one at Part Trois. Uh, yeah. So this hopefully will not sound too repetitive, but it's all, it's, I mean, the menu is different. So uh, let's do like a, a little bit of a run through since people won't see that menu again, right? I will. Or okay. some, some items maybe. So um, I, I wanted to more uh, interview you. Oh. Yeah, about the experience, right? I think that you came. You came on the second night, which to me was yeah. like a close to flawless service from all angles. You know, we were worried. It was very, it was amazing that it rained all day, it stopped raining at five, and then it started raining as soon as you guys left, which you were the last table. Yeah. And it started pouring. And I was like, this is perfect. So a lot of things went well um, that day in comparison to the first day. But that's why kind of we started doing it two days Learn from any rough patch from the first day and then, you know, let it fold over into the second. So, you know, I thought a lot of things about that menu when we were kind of composing it and putting it together. It was not stuff that I would say is out of our wheelhouse, but it was super ambitious for the size of the kitchen and the size of the staff that we have. But my team was very adamant about the fact that they felt like they could do it. And I was I'm I think. I thought they could, too, because they're all very talented. Here comes Emma Here with the go. assist. Thank you. Speaking of that, also we offered a full wine pairing, and we offered a spirit-free pairing Thank as well. You. Was that different that, from? That was different from all the other really? ones. Really? Okay. Yeah. And that Emma actually put together completely. Um, and I thought that that was awesome because me personally, I don't drink wine, and I don't drink a lot of cocktails when I eat a meal like that. I'll drink just more water, and if there's an NA Bev pairing like that one, I would do that. But I, I'm not gonna like jump in and do. It's just too much. By the time you get to the 11th course, you're fucking hammered, in my opinion. But you know, so I don't know. Tell me about how you felt. I mean, tell, I know you've done a couple of tasting menus in your life. Yeah. Um, and this one was the first one you've done here. You've Correct. dined here several times, but what? How did you feel about the whole thing? Yeah, I mean. So, a little bit of a caveat here. Because I think that I came to it with... Um, there were less surprises for me. Because we've talked about it so much. Right. And because I've followed so many people who've done it online. Right. So, nothing caught me off guard. Sure. In, in the sense of like, oh, I didn't see that dish coming. Uh, but, of course, like, eating it is a different animal. Um, so... For starters, since you brought it up, smooth as shit. Like, there was no... 
oh, this thing was off, that thing was off, this person didn't do a thing, whatever. Um, I was surprised. I will. I think it would be valuable to like go item by item. Sure. But I was surprised at which were the highlights for me. Yeah. Uh, so not necessarily in this order, but like I was surprised that like if I was to rank from favorite to least favorite, uh, at how high the ceviche was among my favorites. Oh yeah. I thought it was like especially the, like the plating contributing to how complex that experience was. Yeah. Was fucking awesome. It's actually on the menu tonight. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, man. Like that. The the. And I don't know, I, I imagine, you know, there's very little that wasn't deliberate, but, like, the experience of a bite because of how it's plated and because of how all those things end up coming together from first bite to last bite, that was the one that felt to me the most, like, oh, shit, I'm, like, on a, there's an actual arc here, right? Yeah. Which was cool. Um, I struggle I, with that dish a lot. How so? I just, like, the... Well, tell, I, tell people what it was. Uh, paint a picture here. So, it was a gooey duck ceviche. Um... I think it's wrong to call it a ceviche. It's more of a crudo because they were just served raw. Fair. Gooey duck is weird. You've seen a picture of them? Yeah. And you just blanch them for 20 seconds. You peel them and then you slice them like sashimi style. So we didn't like marinate it at all because they start to kind of like seize up a little bit if you marinate them. So just sliced and then it was uh, avocado and avocado uh, mousse, uh, cucumber melons, uh, buttermilk lychee foam, um, Four different types of herbs. So it was like a citrus coriander, uh, borage flour, uh, cucumber flour. Um, and then there was a consomme that was made of lychee and lime. Right. So the lychees were local. Uh, we've just preserved them. And then what we did is we um, we pureed them. We China, uh, put them through a chinois. And then we put them through the centrifuge, which um, basically separates all the solids from makes it very clear. It looks like water. Yeah. Interesting thing about the lychee, though, is like when it sits overnight, it turns pink. You couldn't really see it on your plate, obviously, because you're dining at nighttime. But when you look at the uh, cup of it and it sits overnight, it goes from like clear like this water to like yeah. a pinkish hue, which I found very interesting. And then the lime in there, which was just straight lime juice. The dish was very simple, but it was just supposed to be like fresh, tropical, and then, you know, something that people aren't super accustomed to. That was my first time. Working with gooey duck. Okay. So it was an experience, and it's it's incredibly expensive. So I understand why it's not super common. I think the gooey duck averages about a pound and a half each, and they were like $47 a pound. Wow. Yeah, so there was it was, a, it was a lot to take on. Um, we probably overextended ourselves financially in comparison to the past ones just because we got like – I really found like we found some amazing stuff. But that dish was, was awesome. We sold out yesterday, and we sold like 15 of them, which okay. – for an item that, you know, the the center of the plate is so expensive and that it was pretty pricey, I mean, I was surprised that Miami yep. jumped on there so quickly. Um, so, yeah, that that for me was was up there. And when I mentioned the plating, again, for the person who hasn't uh, had the dinner or, or seen the dish. The photos will come out next week probably. Yeah, the photos will be out. Um, but, uh, but the crudo is sort of close to the center of the bowl. Yeah. So that that, that consu- the, so the, well, the consomme. Yeah. Uh, is it, clarified. It's a, it, it's a clarified juice. Sure. So I call it Clarif- consomme. Right. Uh, it, it's kind of like on the on one side of a little gooey duck dam. So you look. If you look at a bowl, yeah. The way I try to build it in my brain is that I want everything to ride one side of the bowl. So aesthetically, you have a lot of negative space, and then yep. that liquid sits in that negative space. Also, there was um, 
dots of tarragon oil on all the avocados. So as soon as right before they left, they would get dressed just with a little bit of tarragon oil yep. and a little bit of salt. So that when the consomme went in there, the tarragon oil would leach into the consomme. So you would get a little bit of tarragon with the citrus and the yep. lychee. So, so that was cool. I, I was a big fan of that. Um, I mean, I don't know. You, you're saying that you wanted to interview me. I, I don't want to run through the whole ah, just, menu just here. Tell, tell me the three that you like the most. The three. Okay. Um, um, I would say that the, the Wellington maybe. Oh, yeah. Was up there. No, you know what? I'm not. No, I'm going to go. I'm going to go ceviche or crudo, whatever you want to settle on calling it. The, uh, I forget what you called it. Not the, not the, the trotter, but the other of the Nochebuena. Yeah. Porcelain. Porchetta. Right. But it was that and something else, right? It was, so uh, it was a porcelain, a slice of porcelain, right. porchetta. It was a head cheese pithivier. Right. And then it was an avocado. It was an avocado. Like just slice of homestead avocado with house cured um, gel yep. that we had smoked, and then rendered it off, and then we built like a salad on top of there. Just herbs like orange mint, um, orange mint. Uh, it was like three different herbs, and then the one chala, and then just a little bit of salt on top of that, and then uh, a parsnip that was just uh, coated in a little bermonte, and then. There was a smoked onion ring, not yep. like a fried onion ring. It was like an actual onion piece that right. was smoked. And inside of it was a mojo made out of colatura. Right. Yeah. So so that would be one of the three for me. And I, th- I think that we – like everybody at the table. So I, I had that dinner with Carluba, Carluba's wife, Melissa, and my friend Frank. Uh, and, and everybody was very impressed with that whole thing. Like it, it was very like – I think it struck exactly the balance that that you all are trying to strike of like putting the idea of Noche went up in somebody's head without it feeling either gimmicky or too familiar. Right. You know, um, and then this was like, I think, a table consensus up near the top. The uh, Honey Ham Wahoo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that component of the picnic thing. Uh, everybody loved. That's cool. Yeah. That was like a really last second, like uh, put it together that honey ham wahoo thing and it came out really good yeah just the wahoo we brined it overnight and then uh we coated it in that lyle's golden syrup uh and then we smoked it and delicious yeah a little bit of caviar that nochebuena dish i we had to break it into two separate dishes because it just didn't make sense to try to put all that on the same dish you know like right we had talked about it a lot and you know, to debone those trotters and to actually, like, stuff them and sous vide them, it would have been a shame to not actually put the pork foot on the on the actual plate. In reality, there was only two bites on that dish. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's the way that we cut it was in order to show people, like, there's just two pieces of meat here that you have to eat. The rest of it, you can gnaw on a pig's foot if you want, but it's... Neither here nor there. It's not, yeah, I think it's we not, all kind of picked at it just for a little bit of the chicharron experience of it. Right. But, but it's like, you know, when you use porcelain and all those things, I, I tried not to do like the chicharron thing because the the skin so like creamy and velvety, I wanted it to stay that texture. And it yeah. stayed the same way when you guys had the porchetta on the following, um, in the following course. A little bit of like crust, but not a ton. Yeah. 
I feel like if if you were to take that product and really like roast it hard enough that it would get crispy, this the meat would be dry. Yeah, I'd much rather juicy meat than like crispy skin. Yeah, and then for me, I mean, the Wellington was up there for me, but I think that's just like a personal, just because I like anything Wellington. Oh yeah, I just like the idea of it and the the just everything about a Wellington thing. We sold a whole Wellington yesterday. Oh shit! For a table of uh, it was like oh that's the move. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, two hundred bucks, and it was just like the whole fucking thing. Awesome. For a table of like eight people, four and four, it was a big, you know, like they had a bunch of wine or whatever. So, and they got pretty much two of everything, and then they bought the whole Wellington. That's great. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, it was just like, that was really cool. We carved it table side. We served it with the same sauce. It was a charred lettuce puree uh-huh. when you guys had it. And, but then we took, um, we took lobster demi and we finished it with some truffle, and then we added that to it. It was so fucking good. So yeah. good. That dish was, that was probably the most stressful dish of the whole tasting. Yeah. Because, you know, Wellington is like a fuck. It's a thing, man. Yeah. And then not only that, Wellington has a firm piece of meat in the middle. Right. We took two different proteins and we made them into one and then we wrapped them with another and then we wrapped it with another and then we did that. Yeah. So it was like a lot, you know. Sweetbreads, the lobster, we made that into a roulade. Then we uh, wrapped it with a scallop and mushroom mousse. And then we wrapped that with a crepe. And then we wrapped that in pastry. And then we baked. I mean, it was yeah, it was a lot. So the day before, when because we, we had done a couple tests and we weren't like super happy with it. But I just like kept pushing and kept pushing. And I was like, let's just fucking do it. And let's just, you know. And Chef Ashley was the one responsible for that dish. And she lost a lot of sleep. Over yeah. that dish. Yeah. No, I and, remember that coming up a little bit in other yeah, she, sidebar conversations here. I mean, it was super ambitious. And you know what's interesting about that dish is that when you receive the dish, how many things were actually on it? Just two. Right. To really understand the complexity of what goes into those two components on a dish and to appreciate that is like is the utmost of to understanding like where and how much the Miami dining scene has evolved. And I think that's part of why... For me, I, I would say that I, it's because not because I knew anything about this particular one, but because when I have a good Wellington, like I, I have some sense of like this doesn't just happen. Yeah, you know. Uh, so it, it's it's a little bit like I'm only saying this because we're smoking, but like if you have a good cigar, or if you have a shit one, and you have a sense of like okay, I understand what they did wrong, or like why this was so difficult to do, or whatever. So, uh, and then last, just to not leave the pastry side out. Oh, yeah. If you had charged me the same amount and just given me a bucket of those smoked Twix bars. Oh, yeah. I would have been super fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that The whole dessert experience, I think, was on another level. Yeah. You know, I, I think not we're going to... Not gonna... mention Casey in those shoes. She, yeah, the whole she thing. looked like a mime. Um, that whole experience, I think, adding that to the end... Of the tasting, which I guess we could talk about it now, is we added a dessert room, and the idea of the dessert room was to be completely aesthetically opposite of everything that you've experienced for the last two hours. So everything, you know, like we went and we bought new plates for these tastings. You know, we had a plate there that I spent more on that one plate than sometimes I've spent on two dozen plates on one. 
and just like we did all those things and we wanted to elevate and make it very like refined and classy and the dining room reflects that and outside reflects that serves and then downstairs it was pitch black with red lights the movie american psycho or psycho was playing Mm -hmm. the alfred hitchcock one um loud hip-hop music was playing there was fog there was candles there was happening it was weird and i loved it i thought it was amazing you know like i thought that the idea was it started as one thing and uh then it kind of you know britney kind of took it and just got very britney with it which is great what does that mean just you know like she started to like go like out there okay you know because um, i don't know you know well, she I, I like know she, well, she so. spent uh the way she explained it to me she spent time in europe uh in like a past life pretty much and it, she wanted to build like some of these uh, what was reminiscent to like a bar for her okay. in europe sure and that's what we ended up with and I thought it added a great element to the dinner because it was something – it was such a hard curveball yeah. in comparison to all the rest of them. And then some – like I talk about that experience I had at Alinea so much because the ending is so different than the rest of the dinner kind of in a way like they, it's pitch black and there's fog and there's like things happening, the plating on the table and the whole nine like uh, – it was kind of reminiscent to that. You They put you in a, a, a different mind frame. Yeah. And that's what that dessert room did. And I think we'll continue to elaborate on that and continue yeah. to see how it goes. People loved it. I, I Not one person was like, that shit was yeah. weird. I had ideas on how to elaborate on that. But Great. I, I don't know how much you liked them. Yeah, I mean, sure. I told you about the Caterpillar suit. <laughs> oh, to put you in a Caterpillar suit? Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah if you're going to do the Alice in Wonderland thing, you're going to have somebody in a Caterpillar suit. I'll smoke a cigar in a Caterpillar suit. Petey yeah. can be another Caterpillar. Yeah. We'll just kind of hang out. Petey should be the You can pay me in Twix bars. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> oh, man. So, like a rundown. And what's interesting also about this dinner in comparison to the last ones was we did like four less courses. But I felt like people were more full. And I don't know why. I made. I tried to. I oh, we a, were stuffed. I made a conscious effort to make everything much smaller. You know what I think? So, here's. I think the. Because we did talk about that a little bit. Not that we were, on the contrary, we weren't dissatisfied because we were so stuffed. I, I think, you know, if anything, uh, Carlos and maybe Melissa, because I think they hadn't done, not that I've done a million of these, but uh, didn't have much experience with that kind of, like, tasting menu thing. I think the first time you do that, or even this, whatever, I don't know, I'm not going to assume how many times they've been through those motions before. It's easy to, like, get the first few courses and think, like, oh, man. I'm going to leave here con hambre, you know? But I do think, like, you know, it, it builds, like, anything, especially given how you're pacing yourself out of it's just what it is. Did you guys get wine? Frank and I did. They oh, yeah. had cocktails. Okay. Um, wine definitely adds to the stuffness. Yeah. I have a higher tolerance for stuffness. Yeah. Uh, no, I but, know. But I was going to say, I think because the Noche Buena stuff came so late, I think that ends up, like, hitting you harder, how heavy those courses are. Well, there's a dramatic slowdown at one point and yet, like since i'm expediting i feel it a dramatic slowdown so um it's just something that i'm gonna learn from and you know try to take into the 27th and 28th differently you know um we uh i believe we're already sold out for october yeah 
which is cool. So I'll say another. I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into my experience of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I think two other things that come to mind, just kind of comparing to my other limited experience with the tasting menu stuff. Like I think of uh, Quintonil, which I did like at lunch, and it was very casual. It wasn't as, uh, I don't know, maybe call it theatrical. Um, but I think what it had in common that if I were to like offer notes was that there's at the time that I did it was also very like, let me show you some stuff about where you are right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're a lot more explicit about like, for instance, I forget the specifics, but I think there was like a mole that had like ground ants. Cool. And they'll actually come out and tell you about the ants and what tribes used to eat the ants and where they are and all that stuff. Which I think even though most of the people here are probably locals, part of the thing is it's locals who don't know a lot of this shit. And so I think it would be, I think it would enhance it if like they were like, somebody was coming right out and telling them like, hey, yeah, you've probably seen Starfruit a million times and never eaten one more than like once or twice in your life. Right. Here's some shit about Starfruit. Even if it's not relevant to the dish or their experience of the dish. I think that sort of like puts you in a different headspace. You know? I, I would say the the biggest drawback we have of only doing this uh, once or twice a month is we can't elaborate more. Right. You know, because um, I agree with all of that, and it's something I spoke to the team about uh, the day after was you know if we were to do this every day, we would be very good at it. You know, but the fact that we do it only once or twice a month, right? It makes it a challenge, and also this tasting that's coming up now will be the first time of the four that we're bringing back past dishes. Okay, and we're doing that because I feel like I, I feel like almost more the mental strain on the team to test, recipe test, test out, recipe out, test it out over and over. On top of, you know, we have a very small team and then we have to do service as well it's tough you know like i saw it on on the team's face like they were they pushed super hard and like they're they did an amazing job yeah so but i think this is that now that we have a good sample size think about it too in uh three months we did over 42 new dishes and we also changed dishes on the regular menu that's a lot of food in three months for a restaurant you know, especially one like ours that we source and we work and try to, you know, we're looking for excellence, you know. So it's it's it was rough. It was. Uh, and that's why I was going to wait to November. But I really I, I thought October was just it was mentally time to start saying, OK. And then on top of that, too, something that we haven't been able to do much of in the last three was source locally. We got some avocados, mame, star fruit. But Miami hasn't been offering much because it's not the season for growing. Now we're going to start getting into that season. So yeah. we're going to try to get back to that route of highlighting those things, you know. Um, and then also equally some of the challenges are some of those dishes that were on the tasting menu are actually now on the menu. Right. So the ones that we really liked, like the jackfruit carpaccio, I love. It's on the menu now. Yeah. The rabbit porchetta, I love. It's on the menu now too. So... You know, um, that uni dish that you guys had, which I personally love, um, that's a dish that I've always wanted to put on the menu. You know, Personally, I, not an uni guy. Yeah. But I, could, I can appreciate it. And the, the chowder in the, uh, in the urchin 
Yeah. Was awesome. Tabana Cazuela. Yeah. It's like a different version. Right, right. I'm saying chowder because you listed it as a chowder, I think. Or, or maybe it was... Porridge. Corn porridge. Is that what's... Okay. Yeah, we put it as a corn porridge. Because yeah. that's how I sell it to, like, people that aren't, you know, us and that right, eat tamal and well, on a Wednesday. No, okay, here's here's a very Nick beef that I had with that dish. Okay. Because now that you're saying it, I'm remembering the menu actually does say tamal. Okay. There is no E at the end of tamal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. It, the plural is tamales. Is tamales. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. So, everybody needs an editor. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I think I, I loved that the idea of that dish. Yeah. I've always kind of like thought about it in my brain and act, never actually put it. We used to have tamale and cazuela on the menu years ago, but it was with like a wild mushroom ragu that was finished with creme fraiche. Was the tamale that you used to have like that one or no? So, there was small. It was like that one, but the difference was like I started the old one with uh, pork products. And then in that pork product, I would uh, slowly sweat out all the veg. This one, I just, I didn't. It was, it could have been vegetarian. And I did that because I didn't want the pork to overpower the uni. Okay. That's why the pork fat foam on top yeah. was supposed to be just an essence. So, like, when you ate it, you got uni and then finished with the pork. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I felt like it would have been too much. Yep. Same thing with the sofrito. There's sofrito in it, but I wanted you to really get, like, those vegetables and, like, those, those notes, the oil. I thought all of it, like, worked really well together. What was the – what feedback have you gotten on that Florida orange? People either loved it or hated it. Yeah. I think it's oh, it's definitely a work in progress. You know, that was the first time that we tried to execute something like that. I think the execution so – tell, tell the people what it was. So it was basically a foie – it was a foie duck liver mousse that on the inside was a um, – a patafouille of sour orange. So the idea is Florida orange. Uh, underneath it was a dirt made of chocolate. Uh, I think chocolate and foie go very well together. You know, if I were to critique it myself, it's too big. Yeah. Um, so, but if people don't finish it, that's I'm not offended by that because I know it was too big. Um, I just couldn't find a mold smaller yeah. to make it like an orange. Um and then, you know, it should be served with something to carry the mousse more. And equally, there needs to be another layer of something on the inside. So what we, what we talked about this month, because I'm considering bringing it back for the next one, is to wrap the patafui with something else, another duck product or something, and then to try to put that in the middle as well. Yeah. So still a work in progress. I thought all the same things. I thought it, I, I loved the... The play of the of the mousse and the chocolate, yeah, both flavor wise and texturally, yeah. Uh, if you had given me like a slice of chocolate cake, yeah, I would have spread that shit on the cake, and I would have been super that's, good. That's interesting. There you go. Uh, but you know, that's also another thing is like I would have loved to just serve that with a fat piece of brioche. Sure. But then people were just going to be too full. That's more that adds to that. But thing. I think I, I think if it were if you could find a smaller mold or if it somehow were like two people splitting is tough now. That's the thing. Well, you you just can't. Yeah, you, you just can't do it. So that's why, like, if I were to serve that that dish for a table like, of four, like if if half that volume were brioche, then out then it's your money. Well, it's it's the process too of making it. Like you can only put stuff on the inside that you can freeze. Because the process of it is that you make that mousse, 
you set it in the mold, you put the patafui on the inside, you lightly freeze it so you can paint it. Yeah. Because it had uh, like an orange essence paint that I put on the outside that took me six hours to paint all of them. Yeah. It was crazy in a freezer. Because if you do it outside the freezer, they're going to melt. Right. So it was wild. It was something that I was very happy to do. But, you know, I learned from it. And, you know, I think people loved it if they, they realized like, okay, I'm not going to eat all of this. Right. You know? Equally for me, I, I felt like it lacked another layer, yep. which would be, you know, like if we were to get duck confit and like wrap the patafui and then stuff that on the inside, but that's all a work in progress. And that's cool. all part of the, I think the goal is to really find a smaller mold, but that mold was so dope. I mean, it looked like a fucking orange. Yeah. I mean, it really like, I was. No, it was impressive. I and was. The, the, the plate and the dirt, beautiful. So for context. The plate that we used was made famous by David Kinch at Manresa. He plates like a salad on there, and it's beautiful. And it's a Bernadeau plate, and they're super rare, and they're super hard to get. It took us like a full month to get them. Like, they literally got here like the day before. And, um, I mean, those plates only made uh, appearances those two days, and now they're back in my office underneath my desk in a box. Because they're just, I mean, they're incredible, you know? So... I, I loved it all. Like like I was saying, if you were at a table of four people and you were to get that, that's an easy share. Yeah. You know? It's impossible now. But that's impossible. You know, but now, you know, when people dine now, people share apps for sure. Yeah. I'm more talking about in the setting that we were in. Right. I'm just, I know for a fact that it's like one of those things that we just have to find, find the, the right fit for it, you know? Yeah. And then it's, I remember I, I was talking to the, my team after I was like, what if we did that for regular service? And everyone looked at me like they wanted to stab me in the fucking eye. And I was like, all right, maybe not. I guess not. That's fine. Maybe not all the time. Maybe not all the time. That's good. Because I felt like if people got that for a share, it would be better for like a table. You know, like you get a, you know, a salad and you get that or whatever, you know, it's cool. Um, so I don't know. This this began with you trying to interview me. So you you tell me what I think. What what's interesting to me is how 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 many people ask me all the time. Like you know, what do you think about it? I said you know I think that there was highlights, and I think everyone's going to like some things, and people are going to hate other things. And I thought that the sardine was uh, some people would love it, and some people would hate it, and that's exactly what happened. I loved it. My chef de cuisine hated it. You know, really? Oh yeah, he. <laughs> I think our our table went in with some people thinking they would, but everybody liked it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was the the flavors to me all made a lot of sense, and I think that they were delicious together. I just think that you know it's sardines, so you either got to love fucking sardines or you don't. You know, and they're also cold and cured, so it's just a different experience. I thought that dish was like aesthetically beautiful. Um, I thought the idea was great. We'll never do that dish again because it was a nightmare. Yep. It was the number two nightmare next to the Wellington. No shit. Oh, yeah. Was, you know, because basically it was um, – there was four layers in that dish. So the bottom layer was the mousse of monkfish liver. Right. The layer on top of that was the cured sardine. So the sardine was charred. It was cured. And then um, it was marinated in celery juice. And then on top of that was a small, quick pickled celery. And then on top of that was a terrine of four layers that was supposed to resemble like a caponata um, flavor. So it was like one layer of zucchini, one layer of eggplant, one layer of red pepper, one layer of lemon and thyme. 
And then we had to take those, that terrine, once they were set, we had to slice them, and then we had to measure them to fit into the molds, and then we had to build them. And then on top of that was a salad of crystal lettuce, um, uh, pineapple mint, and baby radishes. So it's like layers and then more layers. It was just like, it was a lot. It was yep. a lot. And it was, that's one of those dishes that I think it was very ambitious. It was very ambitious for some people to not fucking like sardines. I think that at, that at the end of the I day, wouldn't say that I like sardines, but I like that dish. Cool. That's and, good. And I don't know. I mean, uh, it was a lot on your end, but I think even for the person who doesn't like sardines, it's not a lot as like a, hey, whether you like it or not, just like experience this for a second. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't so much. You're not asking that person to, to go too far in their sardine time. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have uh, sardine ecaveche on the menu now. Just yep. served with bread. We sold a good amount yesterday. It's just one of those things that I think the first um, menu we did, I did a bunch of dishes that I had been thinking about for a very long time. So they were – it's kind of like when Springsteen wrote uh, Born to Run. Okay. Like the that whole album – I don't know the story. Well, that whole album he had been putting together in his brain his entire life. And that was like something, it's like 10 amazing tracks. And it's like, I mean, he thought about them and the way that 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 album would play and the way that it would flow together. And, you know, he thought about it to an exhausting point. And then when Springsteen got to Darkness on the Edge of Town, right, that album was more raw and it was more like he was evolving into something else. I'm not calling myself Bruce Springsteen, yeah, but I'm, I'm not at all. What I'm saying is I understand the difference. Yeah. I understand like that there was lots of thought. Like imagine we were in five months of quarantine. When we did five months of quarantine, one of our things when we came out of it was we were going to do a tasting menu every night. The world was weird. We decided not to, but then we we're like, fuck it. We're just going to do it once a month. So we had a bunch of dishes already in our brain that we had thought about forever. And then we said, okay, let's just fucking change it every month. And then after three months, I'm like, we have to par back. We can't change it every month. It's just a lot. So I feel like I, I understand that feeling now. I understand that, you know, creatively you're pushing your brain and you're, it takes a lot out of yourself and the people around you to do that. You know, there's some people that have a tasting menu. They don't change it for years. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think part of the other thing is also – even if you had said you weren't going to change it, it was always going to change. Right. Because if you did it the one time, you were going to discover new things and realize certain things about the idea. So it, even if you told me we always knew that it was building to something that wouldn't change, it makes sense to go that route for the first few months. Right. And sort of like throw as much shit at the wall and go through the motions of all those different things before you start to piece it together into a more permanent-ish thing. So the experience for you from when you walked in the door to when you left, do you feel like it was an experience that was memorable and that's something that you would talk about down the road? Yeah. That is our entire goal. Oh, you know, you said the word theatrics, right? And I remember earlier on in my career, I would always be like, you know, I want like zero fuss. And I think as... I got older, I realized, but I'm a lot of fuss. I am. I'm a lot of fuss. I like, I like, 
pachanga. I like things. I like it loud. I like energy. You know, I like it to reflect. I like, I want people to feel not challenged, but like almost provoked a little bit in several ways, either emotionally or mentally or just like this was amazing and it's something that I want to talk about and something I want to do again. Because food, as much as I feel like a huge connection to it uh, emotionally and personally for several reasons, um, people want an experience, especially now. You know, I mean, we don't now the world's starting to reopen and I guess we'll see how that goes. But um, people right now, they want to forget. They want to be put in a place that they're just like happy and having a good time. And that's really what it's about, you know. And, you know, like uh, the little gift box that we gave everyone, like everyone got a cigar, bourbon Tootsie Rolls and a cocktail to take home. Like Uh, rum old fashion, rum old fashion. Um, Things like that, because I want people a couple days after to, you know, sit at their house, smoke the cigar and, you know, pour themselves that old fashioned. Be like, wow, that was a great fucking time, you know, and talk about it and reminisce on it and think about it and have a connection with the restaurant. But you know what else? I mean, when you say that you're no fuss, like I I, I I get that. I am a lot of fuss. But I but I when I when I was referring to how theatrical it was, I think one of the things that I appreciated because I'm not a lot of fuss. That no. way, but the theater is on the. You're plate. pretty fussy, man. No, I'm not fussy. But it's on. Don't what follow I, your Twitter then, because you're pretty fussy. Not fussy. That's All just right, you anyways, know. Go on. But it's 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 on the plate, is what I mean. I, I, I think back to the the episode with Ricardo uh, Paulosa, and I think he makes a reference to the theater of a dish. Right. Right. And I, I think that's also part of why the dessert course thing works so well, because you weren't creating this experience around people, and so had you done that, I think it would have diluted the impact of the of the dessert course because then you would just be comparing one physical theater to another right here it was like it's all happening right in front of you and then you're taken into like a space right that's that way right uh so yeah i mean it was theatrical in the sense of in like a you know sort of loosely defined sense but it didn't feel like gratuitous and it didn't feel like like your focus wasn't on the food Right. The focus is always on the food. On the contrary, I think because it was done the way it was, like it's all staggered with different parties. Yeah. There are times that you're like, well, we were the last, we we're the last table, and you you become conscious of, oh, there's nobody here, right. and you end up not giving a shit. Right. Like you don't feel the way that you might if you were the only four people in a restaurant, because there's enough happening at your table, and that's what you're talking about the whole time. You're not having conversation about some other shit while all that's happening. I. The day after um, the tasting, I took the majority of the day and I just kind of like, I thought about the impact that this has on on overall, like, the people here. And saying like how the focus on the food is really like the number one and the focus on service and the focus on things like these, I... It's been such a fucked up year, you know, and so many levels, emotionally, mentally draining, fucking people are broke, people are sad, everything's stupid. This is what we keep texting each other every other day. Like, yeah. this is all stupid. Everything's stupid. Everything is stupid because it's true. Everything is stupid. But to see how happy these people were that, you know, we're not cooking for um, 
food writers or people who, um, you know, judge things and give you awards or whatever. We're really cooking and doing this thing that we love for our guests and for ourselves. And I, I saw them so happy. And they were just like, you know, living in that moment, which is really what we do this for. And it's like, um, it's satisfying. Because there's been so many parts of the year that, you know, my chef, Manny, which is an incredible human being and incredibly talented, there was a time for fucking four months, which there's nothing wrong with it. He was just slanging tacos and burgers and putting them in a box and, like, fighting for survival. And now... You know, for these things, he's busting his ass for fucking 14 hours to make sure that the restaurant's set up, the kitchen is set up, and it feels like he looks and feels alive. As opposed to those days, it was more like we're fighting to have food on our table. And I think that the drastic change in a six-month span, you know, that's why, I mean, I saw these people very happy. You know, they're usually pretty happy but like you know, they were very happy after this you yeah, know, like, it, it gives you something that you've been missing right that used to be a normal thing so it's like a sort of sense of relief i think probably the not that other people feel it less but i think the the best way to for me the one that makes the most sense the one that's easiest to wrap your head around is for like for todd like if you're a oh, some yeah. if you're a some and you haven't been able to do some stuff to finally get back to being able to do that even if only for a couple nights a week Right. It's a big fucking deal. I mean, just psychologically. Yeah. And then for the guests, like you said, I mean, it's not a secret, his story. So uh, Frank, the friend who I brought, this is a, a guy who I wrote about several years ago. He is still homeless. Um, and it was exactly what I thought it would be. Like, I've wanted to help this guy out, and, but I don't have the capacity to fucking, you know, do much more for him. But this, and I think he went in, not skeptical. He didn't tell me, like, oh, I don't think that's what it's going to do. But I don't think he realized what... I was getting him into, and, I mean, you saw the guy. Yeah. He's always pretty loud. Yeah. But, I mean, it took him out of his head. Right. In a way that, like, if there's anybody that's tough to put in that place where you're not thinking about all that shit, it's that guy. Right. And that's what it did. Well, he looked like he had a great time. He did. (laughs) And and he found Brit. Yeah. Fellow Philadelphian. Yeah, yeah. No, they were two peas in a pod, those two. Oh, man. They were talking about coming during this podcast while you're gone. Oh, Oof. We that might happen in the next ten days. I'm gonna leave with 22 listeners, come back with 12. No, that's nope. gonna bring them in. Oh, you think that's bringing them in? Uh, just I mean, for context, Frank. By the way, I'll, I'll put a link to the story that I wrote about him in the description of this episode. This episode. Uh, but uh, he sells flags, so anybody with flag needs a little early shameless plug. Go buy your flags from him. Uh, that's a good transition, I think. Uh, since I mentioned that you'll be gone and Frank and Britt will be stealing your podcast. Uh, where are you going? Unless you wanted to keep doing that. Was there other stuff we no, didn't no, get? No, no, no. I think we covered a lot. Yeah. I mean, we talk about the tasting every month. So, um, you know. You, you mentioned with Zach that you were going to, to Utah. Yes. So, uh, I leave tomorrow to Utah. We're going to Salt Lake City and then Park City. I felt like I needed some recharge time. And it goes back to, like, going through the month and, like, trying to find that uh, creative, competitive space that I live in. Because I'm, like, a, I'm just a competitor by nature. I like, and it, whether it's competing with myself or nobody, really. Like, I just like to push myself. And it was – it felt 
harder than usual. And I, I feel like that is because the year, the year has been like a long Groundhog's Day. You know, like the movie with uh, Bill Murray. It's just yep. like the same thing. And it's it's mentally straining. Like I, And then planning for the future. Like the whole year has been planning for the future and trying to make sure that things are okay and people are okay. And sometimes you got to look in the mirror and say, are you okay? And, you know, not saying that I'm not okay, but um, mentally there, there was a point that I just I said I needed to like reset. So hopefully this does that. Um, uh, I've never been to Utah. I don't know what to expect in Utah. Usually all of my trips are revolve around food and I didn't want that to be this. Yeah. I didn't want this to be that is what I meant to say. Like I wanted to just go and just go hiking and do nothing. I'm, you know, two friends of mine that live there. Are you there. much of a hiker? No. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but, like it, but I imagine this won't be your first hike. Uh, no. But right. like, but uh, you've enjoyed it when you've done it before. Yes. Yeah. Same here. Like I, I my hikes in my life have been very separated, one from the next. Although when I lived in Wisconsin, there was a little more of that. Yeah, the uh, hill, the hill at Tropical Park isn't really a hike. Right, that's the thing. Being here, <laughs> you don't, you know, have much opportunity for it. But I, I like it when I do it. Yeah, I'm really into uh, stars, like going out into the middle of nowhere, being very dark, and like w- when we, I went to Iceland a few years ago, and okay. we saw the Northern Lights, and that was fucking amazing. Yeah. You know, like those kind of things really, I feel like invigorate me. When I was a kid. Like every kid, I used to like, you know, know all the constellations and want to be an astronaut when I was like five. I still love that stuff. So uh, I think this is going to be a cool opportunity to do some more of that. Um, you know, two of my friends that live out there, they're uh, trainers. We used to train together, so we'll probably do more training when I'm there. Cool. They were actually my swim coaches. They uh, coach triathletes, so people that are nice. in a lot better shape than me. So um that's cool. They're amazing people, and uh, we're actually going to stay with them for a couple of days, so that's going to be cool. Um, yeah, I, I feel I feel good about this. It also says a lot to me about the incredibly talented people I have in the building currently because I usually don't feel comfortable leaving things, and right now I feel 100% confident and comfortable because in – the Ariette Kitchen with uh, Manny, Ashley, and Percy, and, you know, Devin and Katrina and the whole pastry department, Brittany and Todd and David and Emma and Will. Like, we are – we have an amazing staff. So, I feel like things will be well taken care of, yeah. you know. And that's that, to me, means a whole bunch because it's like um, – it's – the mental strain of that is exhausting. So – the fact that I do trust them to do these things is is great. Yeah. So, so Utah, here I come. Nice. Pancom podcast live from Utah. Watch out, Mormons. <laughs> uh, I don't even know like the rules. There's a lot of rules in Utah here. Are there? From my understanding, yeah. Oh, I don't know anything about this. I don't, yeah, but where you're going to be, there are no rules. You're out in the wild. I usually deal better with no rules. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you want to do the wind down stuff? We've been at it for an hour ish. Oh yeah, it's been an hour. Yeah, yeah. time flies hour. when you're talking tasting okay. menu. Hey, all right. Uh, well, I do. I do want to give a shout out. Okay. To that cigar that I smoked, that I showed you. I don't remember the Oliva I, Serie V. So I smoked two cigars that day, the Herrera Esteli. Yep. Which is one of my favorite like go-to smokes. It's usually what I start with, and then I'll 
I'll move on to something else. I got a 601, an Espinosa, Drew. But I saw the cigar and I was like, you know, I don't want like a, an hour long stick. I wanted something a little smaller. I only want to smoke a cigar for the next 30 minutes and then leave because I had somewhere else to be. And man, it was fucking delicious. Yeah, the V is one of my favorite cigars. So fucking good. It smoked incredibly well. The flavor was incredible. Like I just, it hasn't been a while. It's been a while since I smoked a cigar. I was like, wow, that was fucking yeah. delicious. So, this is you. This is not why you did that. I am going to take this audio and send it to the Oliva people. So Oliva people, I'm coming for your money. Yeah, just send but, Venmo us all your money. But but that is uh, no, that really is one of my favorite cigars. Fun fact: I don't know what your feelings are about them. I happen to like them uh, personally, and also by politician standards. Uh, Jose Oliva, our current Florida Speaker of the Florida House, he's the the chairman. Oh, Oliva is that cigars. his cigar? Yeah, that's his, his family's brand, and they recently sold, um, like a lot of cigar companies have lately, including Drew Estate and a bunch of others, but he's still the, the chairman at the board of Oliva. What's his name was there when I was smoking a cigar? Nestor? Cigar guy? Yeah. Uh, Miranda? That guy. Nestor Miranda? Yeah. That guy's a character. Character. Did I you used get to play... talk to him much? No, I don't. I, don't like... I used to play dominoes with him and, oh, and really? E from... 601 is like, I remember those days, and I don't want to. Oh, Nestor and Shorty at one table was a lot. It was a lot back then. Imagine, that was back when I was like 24. Yeah. It was a lot. But when you're, I'm not going to say when you're in the mood. I I love Nestor. But but Nestor, I I get how you, but you got to admit, like there are times that you're in the mood for Nestor, Mm -hmm. and he is spot on for that. Just like Shorty. There's times when you're. Yeah, but Shorty is, Shorty is, uh, can be a lot of things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he can. Like a lot of good things. I'm saying, like, he's, well, you he, know, it's, uh, but Eric, Nestor is like Nestor is always animated. Nestor's the when you need like somebody, we need some Nestor energy. That's what you need. Eric, his son came to Eric Junior. Yeah, yeah, he came to the tasting as well. Cool. So uh, yeah, I haven't seen them in a long time. Yeah. Uh, so you got recommendations? I know um, you kind of just made one, but yeah, I guess that's like my only recommendation. Really, I don't. I haven't watched anything new or uh, read anything new. I'm actually going to start reading um, the new David Chang book, which someone gave to me because they know how much I don't like him. So they said that if I read the book, I may like him more because we have stuff okay. in common. But that doesn't mean I'm going to like some I of the stupid shit you say on Twitter. I, yeah, I don't know a ton about David Chang, but I can see how – and I'm sure you know more about him than I do, obviously. But I mean, it, it he's, one of the like most, probably... he's, he's one of the most influential chefs of the last 20 years. Yeah. That's without a doubt. He did some amazing things. I just, I can't, I don't have to agree with everyone. I just all the mean time. like the relationship of him to his food and the culture he grew up in. Mm-hmm. I can see how there would be things for you to relate to. Yeah. And I, listen, I've been to his restaurants and I, every time I go, I thought they've been delicious. Yeah. I've never gone, you know, like when you go somewhere that has like an incredible following and uh, you're just like, I don't know, this shit sucks. It's happened to me so many times. That's never happened at any of his restaurants. Yeah. Which is shocking. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to read that. Cool. Um, I'll let you know how it goes. Cool. Uh, I'd like to uh, say that the next podcast will be with uh, the one and only Pastelito Papi. Nice. If you don't know who he is, look him up. It's a big deal. Pastelito Papi with two eyes big- at the end. <laughs> That's right. Because the other one was taken. <laughs> <laughs> this was before Ariad Hospitality had an Instagram handle budget. Yeah. No, I mean, we tried to, like, buy that 
handle on that guy, and he, he's got like, I don't know, 10 followers. I don't know why I didn't just want to give it up. But yeah. I guess, you know, he's going to hold on to it for dear life. Good stuff. And Chugs is actually closing for real. What day is tomorrow? <clears throat> the 4th? Yeah. On the 4th? Uh, Chugs is closing finally tomorrow on the 4th, and we begin construction within the next 14 days, which I'm incredibly excited for. It's been a rough, rough go the last, like, three months trying to deal with some of the issues that we've had. Not us. We're actually incredibly prepared, which is amazing. Um, some issues that we had with the city and the building. So hopefully that's all ready to go. Today we uh, officially reopened our bar uh, south of 5th, the Scapegoat. Um, nice. We will be honoring the 50% capacity indoors. We won't be seating anyone at the bar. Um, you know, we're going to be honoring all the things. We're right now working with the city to add some outdoor seating, which seems like it's going to happen for next week, which I'm super excited about. And I actually want to thank the uh, city of Miami Beach for working with us on that, which is the first time I've thanked any city for anything. Um, and yeah, I mean, those are this is all good stuff, you know, like uh, I don't know how bright the future is. We still need to get through this like ridiculous um bombardment of politics and all the stupid that we live in the world for the next while um but here we are yeah so i'll make some recommendations and shift to our own plugs uh actually my only recommendation because my head has been in uh com things yeah uh, go to datemag go to datemag.com uh, venmo datemag all your money all the money uh but no, my, the recommendation I will make, and I, it's possible that I've brought him up here before, but if you are a fan of, of the rap music, uh, you're a Marlon Kraft fan? I like him. He's I, don't a, know. I don't know if I am or I'm not. He's a funny-looking, uh, skinny white guy uh, from, uh, from Hell's Kitchen, which I only know because he does a lot of shouting them out. Uh, talented guy and has been very active like making music videos at home. Uh, during quarantine, uh, oh, yeah? he's got some good new stuff, but like a lot of like very active on on the. I YouTubes. would recommend to watch the lollipop music video. I don't know if I know about the lollipop. Of course music you do. Video. You're the one who showed me. Which one is the lollipop music video? You don't remember the guys from here in Miami that um, the lollipop music video? No, <laughs> I don't know where you're getting lollipop from. It's called light bulb. There it is, <laughs> light bulb. Yeah, <laughs> by who I don't know, but the video is amazing. Oh man, I'll put a, I'll put a link in the in the thing. Please uh, do put yeah. the link. But that's, that is that is good. good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Marlon Craft has some good new stuff, um, and then I'll do a bunch of plugging of our stuff. Uh, of course, you can subscribe to Pancom Podcast on anything that you listen to podcasts on dademag.com slash Pancom Podcast. Uh, there will be we'll probably do at least one rerun episode. Which now that we're like a year into this, I think we can do that safely. And who knows? Maybe some of you listening to this will be hearing that for the first time. Who are you going to rerun? If you have a preference, I'm open to it. I think there's some that are more time sensitive than others. But like the first Norman episode was early, so like we've probably picked up some listeners since then who haven't heard Normans. But that's a good one. Um, who was our first episode with? Uh, it was Pablo. Oh, which amazing. actually he's he's finally doing Alcalde, which he brought up way back when. That's amazing. So we might bring that back. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Talk um, about an incredible human being. Yeah. Pablo's, Pablo. Pablo's good people. Uh, 
Pablo has the my. I've never had a problem with Pablo. I understand why, but he has delayed due to more important things in his life coming to my house and blind tasting frozen arepas. Listen, man, he's got kids. I know, I know. But, you know, I'm just saying. I'm going to try to put the pressure here on the podcast. Not everyone can go and eat ice cream midday, okay? I got these arepas sitting there. I'm going to eat them eventually, Pablo, and then you're shut out of luck. I wouldn't be shocked by that. (laughs) Uh, Also, speaking of which, date blind tastings uh, coming soon. Uh, Miguel Massens eating, dr- sorry, drinking mojo out of glasses. Uh, <laughs> I can just imagine Miguel doing so that's, this. It, it actually was a very informative uh, thing that well, he did. Well, I mean, he's, Miguel is very informative. He's a good teacher. He's a good, he, Like, if he were on the lecture circuit, he'd do well there. Men for others. Men for others, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then coming up soon, I don't know if I've told you this, we're doing a blind tasting, multiple blind tastings probably, with John Falco. Oh, man. John Falco really wants to blind taste shitty flavored box wines. Oh, this I don't sounds... know how that makes any sense. You know, I was talking to a, Amanda. Uh, she's the the wine director for Michael Schwartz's group. Yes. That she should, because she watches all these ridiculous videos that we do. Yeah. Or that you do. I'll get and, in touch uh, with her. We'll, we'll do a wine tasting. I was like, you should do like, you know, like a barefoot tasting or some, like some stupid, ridiculous wine. You know, like. And she was like, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, I know you should do it. It'll be True great. story. The Earlier in the day of uh, the dinner here, yeah. Carlos and I apparently channeled our inner college girls and drank two bottles of barefoot wine, some white barefoot Chardonnay. Why would you do that to yourself? You didn't have a headache after? No, I didn't. I don't know about him, but we had a good time. <laughs> uh, That's an interesting, like, midday, let's just, let's crush the barefoot. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, So there's that. Uh, And then finally, uh, another shameless date plug before we move on to uh, ending this thing. Uh, There is an op-ed on the website by my friend Margot Bordas uh, about Trump's tax returns and the New York Times coverage of those tax returns. Uh, it, uh, It is critical of the Times coverage of it. But more from the perspective of, like, the reporting not understanding tax returns. Margot is the owner of a um, an accounting firm with some high-profile entertainment clients. Uh, and she knows what she's talking about. So I think it's just it's good to read because I think eventually someone else who maybe you do like or don't like will be at the center of some tax return bullshit. And, you know. Do you think Trump really has a Rona? Yes. I don't think so. I think he does. I don't think he does. Uh, yeah, okay, fine. I just don't think he does. Yeah, but, you know. This all just seems, like, too orchestrated. I'm not, like, a conspiracy guy, but this all is just, like, seems very Trumpian. I don't see how he's being helped by this. This is very Trumpy. I, I will think it's Trumpy if, like, tomorrow he's suddenly testing positive and can come back and, like, ha I beat it in a few days and see. But... If it hurts him the way that I think it will hurt him, I will have a hard time believing. You think it's going to hurt him? I think if he misses debates, if he can't do in-person events, which he won't for a while. Like, I know people who've had it who have felt fine but still been testing positive for weeks. Yeah. If that's where he is and they're deep enough into it, I'm, I'm more inclined to believe that they tried to cover up that he had it. Now he just has it, and I think they've involved too many doctors... For but those. if he knew, the thing is, if he also knew that he had it, and then went walked into a um, a auditorium that the doors said you needed to wear a mask, and no one on his team was wearing a mask, 
He also was just like, I don't give a fuck. I don't know for certain that he had it then. That was like a week ago. Right, but supposedly he tested positive three days before the announcement on, what was it, Sunday? I just, I feel like saying, would you just shut up, man? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Everything Which, is uh, stupid. Whatever, we, we'll leave the debates and things for another time because we've been at this for long enough. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, will, I will say my, my real hope here is that oh, if yeah, Trump misses the next debate, that Joe Jorgensen weasels yeah. her way into that thing. Uh, and I, that will make me very happy. Uh, yeah. I'm not even a big Joe Jorgensen fan, but I, I would like to see another voice in the mix. And I would be saying that regardless, because I think any lucid person under 50 or 60 years old, I don't know how old she is, but she's not as old as these people, would make either of them look stupid. Uh, and I know that a lot of people hated watching that last debate. You didn't get a chance to because I think it was happening during a thing. Yeah. Uh, but I did read an article that I agreed with that was just, it was a shit show and that's why there should be more because, and I think you might, you and I might agree about this. I think it really shines a light on how absurd everything is and how stupid everything is. Oh, everything's stupid. And they look stupid. One of them more than others than the other. I think Trump looked dumber. Trump looked like more of a pain in the ass, but they both looked like shit. Uh, and the more these people look like shit, I think the better for all of us. Uh, as a country, I'd like to send uh, well wishes to the entire Montreal restaurant community. Is that a left field here? Yeah, because uh, they are being forced to shut down for an entire month. Wow, completely uh, by their government. Just Montreal, the city. Yes, as of yesterday, they are being forced to shut all their doors, and they just reopened, I believe, two weeks ago. It just wow. seems like very disheartening, and yeah. I know a lot of people like gripe that Canada's like got it all figured out, but I don't think so. That doesn't sound like you got it figured out. Well, there's a lot of things that happened there that just doesn't seem like they got it figured out. But yeah. I mean, I'm not there, so we just hear secondhand. But so, last... have you ever heard the conspiracy that Justin Trudeau is uh, Castro's son? Yes, I've At... seen the side by side photos. I think it's true. Have you heard the conspiracy that Booger McFarlane is actually Zion Williamson from That's the future? False. That's false. That, they just they look incredibly alike, but that no, that can't be. But Trudeau and Castro, the whole story too. Yeah. You know, Castro was. The, yeah. It seems all very possible. There's a lot there. Todd. Whoa. Yeah. There he is. We we're just talking. We we're just talking about you. Oh really? Yeah. Bubblegum and cotton candy, Todd. Nice work. So uh, I'll end by shouting out, giving thanks to our uh, associate producer level patrons, Mabel DeBonsa and Philip Bennett. Yeah, thank you. And if you want to support what we're doing here at Pancom Podcast and all of the other Dade things, it's Patreon, patreon.com slash DadeMag, D-A-D-E-M-A-G. As little as a buck a month, you get some exclusive videos. Actually, I will be putting a video of uh, a video clip from the conversation with Zach the baker that will only be available there. Uh, which 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 clip? Uh, well, I'm not going to give it away. We'll uh, talk about it now when we turn off. But uh, sound effects. It's it's a it, there are no sound effects in this one. Bummer. Yeah, I know. But that podcast had some good sound effects. I, I outdid myself on the editing front. My favorite part of all the things you post that I never read is the uh, comments that people leave. Uh, comments on my critiques on croquetas or black beans, and then comments about people uh, on the they, Reddit. 
that you would probably never dare say to someone's face because you guys are That's too true. soft yeah, anyways. People, people have things to say about Zach on Reddit. They, people have things to say all the time, but I feel like, you know, you say things behind a little keyboard, it's cute, but I, I, would, I would love to know if people would say that to somebody's face. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, there's that. That always gets me a little bit. Yeah. L- like for example, Twitter beef. I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't name names here, but you know, people people poo pooing the uh, the posts about this op ed from my from my friend here. Oh yeah, like <laughs> she's an accountant or like is she even a tax attorney? It's like no, dude. She has like a slew of celebrity accounting clients, and she's filing taxes for multimillionaires and i'm sorry that you think it's really funny that you're qualified because you make food to talk about people's tax returns but like she knows what the fuck she's talking about yeah but it is what it is people have opinions i have opinions about shit i don't know about yeah american airlines and I'm, and I'm american sure airlines had an auto response to one of my tweets today it was Didn't good they? yeah yeah what'd you have to say about them no i just said that i find that i we we made a conscious choice to go on a different airline because american airlines doesn't follow any guidelines whatsoever and i just find it incredible that American Airlines, that one, has been bailed out $5.7 billion, $4.1 billion of which does not have to be paid off, paid back. It's a grant. The yep. other $1.6 billion is a loan that needs to be paid back over 30 years. But then my industry has been given some things, but we have to follow guidelines or we're being shut down or we have to do all these things. It just seems very fucked up like this is what i mean it's not the same it's That's all why stupid I think there should be no things it's all stupid all stupid everything it's is, all everything stupid is and then my favorite part of what i said about them was they're just like very copy and paste response in which i said that was a cute copy and paste response and then someone else said something and then it was another copy and paste response it was nice. just very american airlines so they're putting that 5.7 billion dollars to work in copy yeah. and paste right yeah very good yeah so with that Thanks and, for listening, and, and we're, we're